1059. Maybe a turtle. WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. The Penguins offseason is underway a, a bit sooner than we'd hoped. Joining me now to discuss, he is the team's president of hockey operations, Brian Burke. Uh, Brian, thanks for taking the time. What's your take on the series loss to the Islanders? Where did things go wrong and what needs to be fixed, per se? Well, I mean, obviously we're very disappointed. We felt this team was capable of getting a little farther than that, and we weren't weren't pleased with the outcome. But we did play better than they played for significant stretches of the series, and we just had some real hard luck. So uh, I don't talk about luck very much because I generally believe you make your own luck. But uh, a couple t- a couple of tough breaks in that one. Where do you weigh in on Tristan Jari moving forward? Well, I think Jars would like to have Game 5 back. I think he'd like to have Game 6 back. But I also know he's the guy that won us the division title and, and got us into the playoffs. You know, forget when we got here, when Hexie and I got here, the team was in fifth place and, and you know, we were 5-5-1, five, five I think, in fifth place in the division and stumbling around. And there was a lot of speculation we needed a goaltender. And, like, we watched these guys play. Casey Smith was also excellent, but... Tristan Jari was the reason we won the division. He's the reason that we that we had that run we had, and then we got on the playoffs at all. So I, I'm not sure. I'm not happy with his playoffs, and he is not happy with his playoffs. Uh, a couple games in particular, but he also played some good hockey in the playoffs. He's the reason we got there. This is a learning process all young goaltenders go through. How do you help Jari get past what happened in those playoffs? What can the club and the coaching staff do for him? Well, just support him. I mean, he's a great kid and he's a popular teammate. So just support him and say, look, this is, you know, I can, I can show Tristan and probably will on the phone sometime this summer, the number of goaltenders that have gone through some tough times before they finally got to stand in the spotlight. And the list is very long. So, uh, just support him and he'll continue to improve. And when you're a good person like he is and you work hard like he does, think good things will happen. Is it fair to say that uh, you guys anticipate Jari and DeSmith being the goaltenders next season then? Well, you get, we're going to evaluate everything. but That's certainly the plan today. That can change with one phone call, obviously, if someone throws something at you that makes sense. But that is the plan today, absolutely. But let me put it this way, Mark. If that's what, what happens and that's how we open camp, that's fine with us. Now, hearing Ron Hextall talk, it sounds like the core three of uh, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang are going to stay together, which is no surprise. But how obvious a decision was that from your perspective? Well, really, I, my hesitation isn't because it's not a smart question. My hesitation is it, it, it changed. When I got here, I was skeptical about whether we'd be able to keep this group together beyond this season. Um but I thought that all three of them had good years. Now, obviously, Gino was hurt a lot of the year, but Sid had, I think, his best year maybe in the last four or five years, and same with Latang. So I became a believer once I got here more than when I arrived. When I drove here back in whatever it was, in uh, February 9th or whatever it was, I was thinking, well, we might have to make some changes. And then you watch these guys play. They all played well. And so our, our feeling is let's see what we can get out of them. We wouldn't rule out bringing them back, uh, either or both of them, and let's keep going. Does the need to sell tickets impact the decision-making at all, especially with all the revenue loss because of the pandemic? Well, I've never been told anything since I got here but win as many hockey games as we can. No one's talked to me about selling tickets or this looks good optically, so let's do that. 
the only instructions I've gotten from David Morehouse or from ownership is you find a way to win as many hockey games as you can. And they're clearly not happy. Ownership was not happy with the results in the playoffs, not faulting anybody, but they obviously, like we did, felt that this team could play at least a little farther along anyway. So, um, no, there's no salesmanship part of this that I've been made aware of. They're just telling us to win hockey games. Mike Sullivan will be back as coach, and I read that you're angered, I think is the word, at any thought he might be replaced. Expand on that if you could. Well, uh, you know, I've had fights with the media over the years because I'm not shy about protecting my players or my coaches. And very few of the fights I've had with the media have centered around me because I don't really care what people say or write about me. But I do care what they write about my players and coaches. And, and the very suggestion that Mike Sullivan's performance, we think he should be named, he should get the Adams Trophy and be named Coach of the Year. We think he did a phenomenal job. So not only is it not that he's going to be back, but it wasn't even discussed. Any other outcome wasn't even discussed. So that makes me mad. Where a guy's got to read that his job was considered, uh, he was considered for termination, and it never was, that's not right. Well, no, I don't think anybody uh, thinks you considered that. But, you know, it is three straight first-round playoff exits, Brian, and I'm sure you understand where some skepticism about a lot of things can develop. Yep, yep. But I think pointing the finger, all Mike Sullivan has done since we got here is coach this team at a, a high level. And I start the very first day, the very first practice I watch, the Pittsburgh Penguins practices are better than any team that I've ever had. They're sharper, they're harder, they have a high skill requirement, high energy level. And that's where your where your game starts in your practices. Then I watch, I sat in on some of the meetings, the preparation level, the intensity, the communication level, all first rate. So I don't uh, I don't fault uh, Mike Sullivan or the rest of the staff for anything that happened. Now the frequent topic is that the Penguins need to get bigger and tougher, perhaps more balanced. Maybe they have too many of the same type player. But how hard will it be to find bigger players that can keep up with the existing style? And that's that's the we're all in alignment on this. By the way, there seems to be a suggestion that I want it a certain way and Sully wants it a different way. We're all in alignment. We want to keep our Penguins DNA, which is high speed, high skill hockey. But I do think we need to get bigger and tougher. And guys that can play Penguins hockey that are big and ugly, they're hard to find. So it'd probably be a more gradual transformation. But there's no question in my mind that we need to get bigger. Well, I think the skepticism about Sully, Brian, doesn't you know stem from anything rumored about you guys, but when Ryan Reeves was here, he was used very sparingly. I think that's where that trickled down from. Yeah, and I asked Sully about that when I got here, and he said that he felt the fourth line was so poor at that time that he couldn't afford to put them on the ice. And that was not – he couldn't afford – it wasn't a feeling that he couldn't put Ryan Reeves on the ice. He said, I can't put that group on the ice. And if you can't put that group on the ice, then your toughness doesn't get any ice time, then you might as well not dress it. So, and there, I've had this debate with coaches over the years um, where they say, look, if I can't play the guy, I'm really playing with nine forwards. If I can't play him, I can't play his line. I'm really playing with nine forwards. But to me, some games it's worth having that toughness dressed is worth playing short. Crosby and Latang uh, are the guys who usually run in to help during a scrum. Now that's admirable on their part, but what are you thinking when you see Sid having to rush to a teammate's aid. Well, I think I think all five guys on the ice should always come in when there's a scrum. Uh, the defenseman maybe not if it's uh, down in the offense, you know, deep in the zone because then you lose the faceoff down there. But 
I, I want all five. But we talked about this when we first got here. Hexy told the players, we want to see everyone come together in a scrum. So we expect every player, if a teammate's in a scrum and outnumber, we expect every player to come in. Now, is it more comforting if you have some bigger, uglier guys come in? Yes. Uh, you talked about Sid early, and I agree he had one of his best seasons in in a couple years. Where are Malkin and Latang at in your estimation, and can you see extending their contracts past this coming season? Yes, I, both of them I could see that taking place for sure. We, again, when we got here, there was a healthy dose of skepticism on where this team was. And I talked to ownership about this in the interview process. But then we got here and we said, you know, people are saying Chris Letang's done. Well, he's playing pretty darn well for a guy who's done. I thought he had a really good season. And so same with, with, with uh, Gino. He got hurt and missed a bunch of time, but when he played, he was effective. And so you say, okay, it's not the end of the line for these two guys, and Sid's not even close to the end of the line. And we believe they like playing together, and they all want to stay in Pittsburgh, so let's get going. We can talk about the contracts this summer or next year. There's no rush. But uh, certainly the expiry date, as they say in Canada, the expiration date on these guys is a little farther down the line than I thought. Uh, Playoff hockey, especially this year, Brian, seems to be even heavier than ever, heavier than regular season hockey. What do the Penguins have to do to handle that transition? Well, I, you and I will talk sometime over a beer about officiating in the playoffs. <laughs> I, talk, I, wanna, I talk about it every day, Brian, more more today than ever. I don't want to get fined, so let's just say uh, the first line of attack, the first line of defense for a team that, that's smaller and not as physical as another team as you expect the rule book to be applied. And you can question whether it was with with equity in the playoffs. Other teams are questioning it as well, and I'm not just the only one talking about it. So that's number one. But then I think you got a choice. You've got to either say, okay, we're going to skate away from all these scrums, or we're going to get people that don't have to skate away from scrums. And I think the better solution, if you look at the teams that are having success in the playoffs, is you better get some people who aren't afraid to skate skate away from scrums. Well, like I think we both agreed before, the balance is the key. You need some of this, some of that, correct? Correct. And we don't want to change our DNA. Our fans like a certain style of hockey. This, this, you know, the, how many other teams have won two cups in the last five years? Answer: None. So this works, and our fans like it, and they're used to it. I don't want to get away from that. And all my, and the contrary to rumors, people think I'm a dinosaur. My teams were always highly skilled. I just had a lot of size too. But if you look at my cup team, you look at my teams in Vancouver, you look at my teams in Toronto, we had real high skill levels. So I don't want to get away from Penguins DNA. This is what we do. This is what our fans like, and the best fans in the league, by the way. We want to stay with that, but we've got to adapt somewhat. Detroit, Chicago, and L.A. all won their cups, kept the same core and style indefinitely, and each faded. How can the Penguins avoid that? What has to be done? Well, in a hard cap system, it's pretty hard to avoid that. It's designed to, the, the whole cap system is designed to reward success with punishing decisions. <laughs> the teams that, that win cups, as Pittsburgh has done, uh, are faced immediately. Everyone wants to get paid. So right out of the gate, you've, you've got cap issues, and you have to make some tough decisions, and you have to get rid of some people. And so we don't feel we're at that stage yet where we think this group, I mean, we won a division for God's sake, and we had a disappointing first round. And you, like you say, that's the third year in a row. But we've, we've got to look at what we can plug in, what trades we can make. We don't have any draft picks. And we don't have much coming in Wilkes-Barre. 
So we may hit that day where we say, okay, it's time. But based on this year, it's not time. I've got to admit, Brian, I'm surprised by the degree of patience you're espousing here. Uh, Maybe it's just ignorance on my part, but your career, I mean, I read your book. It's thrived based on managing effective change. It sounds like you're going to kind of wait it out a bit on that here. Well, I think you have to reward a group if you look at this. So put yourself in in, in my chair, Mark. How was the coaching staff this year? They did a good job. So it's not about being patient. It's about saying they deserve to come back. How'd the team do? How'd the forwards do? You look at all the metrics that surround success, goals for, goals against. The team did well. They deserve to be rewarded with being kept intact. So, And then the goaltending was, was fine all year. A couple glitches in the playoffs. They deserve to be kept intact. So it's not so much about being patient as watching the results and saying, we don't need a lot of change to improve. I think Hexy getting Jeff Carter was a huge part of the story and the narrative for this team and having him for a whole season next year changes our outlook on the year. Before I let you go, uh, what's your take on the Shifley hit last night in the game between uh, Montreal and Minnesota? That's quite the topic on today's program. Montreal and Winnipeg, yeah. it's a, You know what? Here's the problem, Mark. What else is he supposed to do there? Now, he's going to get suspended, I have no doubt. And I didn't like the hit. I don't know what he could have done differently, though. You're chasing a guy who's trying to score in an empty net. You arrive right when he gets to the side of the net and is tucking the puck in. This is not a late hit. This is just as the puck leaves the stick, you check him. And and it has unfortunate results, but he didn't travel that far to body check this guy. He was trying to prevent a goal. He's not a, he's not a dirty player, but they're going to have to give him something. But I, I you watch the tape as a hockey player and say, what was he supposed to do different there? He's trying to disrupt a scoring chance. He gets a chance to hit the guy. He's a bit late, a hair late, and and unfortunate results with a concussion. So I know he's going to get something, but you break the tape down. I'm not sure what Mark Shifley should have done there that he didn't do. Ryan, this is great. Thanks so much for your time, and we'll talk again soon, I hope. Okay, thanks, Mark. That's Brian Burke, Penn was president of Hockey Operations. Good stuff from Brian Burke. Uh, We'll see how the offseason transpired. i got to admit, he said some things I find very interesting, but we'll see how it plays out. And, and his take on the Shifley hit, not far from mine. Uh, I'm writing a column about it, and now I'll probably put some of Brian's quotes in it. But uh, when you put yourself at risk to make a play, you are putting yourself at risk. And if what Shifley does isn't a charge, then i got no problem at all with it. Because it's not my job to protect you. I know we talk about honor and about uh, about looking out for the other guy. I don't know. I don't know that sports is always going to be about looking for, out for the other guy. At any rate, if you want to talk about the Shifley hit or anything Brian Burke had to say, give me a call now, 412-333-WXDX. And we got more hockey talk at the bottom of the hour with Josh Owey. We're also going to be giving away some Pittsburgh Riverhounds tickets. Here on 1059X. Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. From the Century 3 Chevrolet Traffic Center. Legal nowhere but Medellin. DX at 105.9. Thanks to Brian Burke for joining me. Thanks to the lovely Jen Bolano Ridgely for setting it up. Penguins PR lady. Uh, I forgot to ask him about the expansion draft, but I don't think it's a big deal because he wasn't going to tell me who they're going to protect or not. Although I would have liked to have asked them, you know, are you going to protect a Jeff Carter when you know they won't take him? See, that's one thing people don't understand about the expansion draft. You get to protect seven 
forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie. You're not rating your forwards one through seven. You're leaving off a guy like Carter. You don't have to protect him because Seattle won't take a 36-year-old guy with one year left on his contract and very likely in his career. Rossi said they're going to leave Jari exposed to protect the Smith. Nothing Brian Burke or Ron Hextall have said leads me to believe that's going to be considered. Let's go to Jason and Freedom. Jason, you're on with Double M. What up, man? What up, man? Hey, uh, football and hockey are full contact sports. Everybody signs up to get into them, and they understand the risks. But my issue is when you have people like Burfitt and Wilson that take advantage of that, that is my issue. Well, yeah, but the thing is, full contact within the rules is fine. Once you break yes, the rules, you're, 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 you're treading down a dangerous path, literally a dangerous path. Yes, sir. Thank you for the call. That's all. Uh, by the way, as, as, uh, as Brian Burke said, the Shifley hearing is not an in-person hearing, so the maximum suspension uh, will be fi- could be five games, no more than that. Let's go to Sam and Allison Park. Sam, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Great. Yeah, I just think that hit was, was everything that's wrong with checking. A proper check has nothing to do with the opponent's head. And if you look at the guy's head, it snaps immediately back, and the guy. Oh, okay, but he didn't target elbow. his head. He hit him in the he hit him in the chest. Uh, I don't think so. His elbow. No, you're you're absolutely one hundred percent wrong. Watch the tape. He hits him shoulder to I chest. Did. His I only watched. sin is he charged. He took a long run at him, but don't get me wrong. That's a pretty considerable sin. Considerable sin. He said, stuttering. You're moving pretty fast out there. But he hit him shoulder to chest, just like you're supposed to. Of course, you could hang up when you're wrong. You see, and that's where people go too apoplectic when it comes to situations like this. Okay, he charged, I mean, God knows how many strides. And he took advantage of a player who was vulnerable. That's enough to merit a suspension. You don't have to exaggerate by saying he hit him in the head. He did not target his head. He simply did not. And the right play there is is stick on puck if you're trying to prevent the goal so you can assume intent. But don't say he targeted his head. He didn't target his head. Kadri, that hit, that targeted the head, and that's why he got eight games. You know what people are afraid to say? What Shifley did wasn't too far from being legal. Now, it wasn't legal. Like I said, he did charge. But it wasn't too far from being legal. But we overreact to everything. Shifley's going to get like a two-game suspension. People are going to go nuts. They want the death penalty. That doper threw the Dasani bottle at Kyrie Irving at Boston, they want the death penalty for him too. He didn't throw a hand grenade. Shifley didn't pull a gun. I mean, get a friggin' grip. 412-333-WXDX. We're giving away Riverhounds tickets. Caller number seven right now to 412-333-WXDX gets four tickets, prime tickets, good tickets, VIP tickets. To the Riverhounds game against Austin, Texas on Sunday at 6 p.m. at Highmark. Tickets that game, of course, are still available. But call now and win. Caller number seven. Lucky number seven. Seven coming out. 
And we got Josh Shelley up next here on 105.9 The X. Scattered showers this morning, then partly cloudy skies in the afternoon. Look for a high of 81 today. Few clouds tonight, dropping down to 62. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Quote the big Lebowski right. Goodbye. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. Joining me now to talk hockey from theathletic.com. He is Josh Yoey. Josh, we don't know about the suspension yet, but what's your take on the Shifley hit? It's bad, but it's not nuclear. I feel like Evans put himself in a very vulnerable position. He did, and, you know, it's funny. Nobody's talking about this. I actually give Evans a lot of credit. I thought it was a courageous play that he made. He knew he was going to get crushed if he scored the goal, but he opted to score the goal and and risk his health anyway. I I give him credit in a way. Talk about taking a hit to make a play. It doesn't get more of an impressive example than that. Um, My real issue with what Shifley did was his total disregard for the puck. I felt like he never even looked at it. Um, I understand the situation. You're, you're desperate. You're, I don't care that he came from 200 feet away. You can certainly make the argument, as Brian Burke just did, that he's trying to prevent a goal. That's why he was skating that hard from that far away. That's okay. I just don't like that he never even looked at the puck or made an effort to make a play on the puck. And I have to add this also, Mark, and I know this is an indirect thing. If you were watching that game, five minutes earlier, Shifley took a penalty and he had an absolute meltdown in the penalty box. He was actually kicking the bench with his skates. I don't know if I've ever seen a player like have a tantrum like that in the penalty box before. So it made me wonder how angry he still was from that a few minutes earlier if he was trying to take it out on somebody. You could make the argument that he was. Well, the, the thing that sucks is none of it adds up. Like Scott Burnside said earlier, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. The punishment is just haphazard. It's all over the place. What Tom mm-hmm. Wilson did to Panarin and Vichnevich is worse than what Shifley did last night because play had stopped when Wilson pulled his shenanigans, but Wilson got nothing from Paro. So how much do you give Shifley if Wilson got nothing? No, and that's what's interesting. And you know what's happened now, Mark, too? It's to the point where a lot of hockey fans and even more hockey journalists, for whatever reason, they think every time there's a body check that somebody should be suspended and I, it's like people just want the physicality completely removed from the game. I don't want the pendulum to swing that far, uh, but you're right. If you go back to the Wilson play, which was at the end of the regular season, from that point on, the game has been different. And we have seen so many games that were completely out of control. We saw it the next night with the Penguins and Flyers. The Flyers were taking runs at Sidney Crosby that entire next evening after Wilson was not suspended. I don't think that was coincidental. I really don't. And we have seen so many incidents in the playoffs uh, where Colorado and Vegas in game one is a good example, just completely out of control. Uh, and I think it all goes back to that, that guys just feel absolutely fearless right now. So my guess is Shifley will probably get three or four games. Um, but, but who's to say? I mean, it's impossible to project at this point. And, and the fact that Wilson was not punished remains, I think, even more boggling at this point than it was even then. And it's going to get stupider when Shifley returns, especially oh. if it's in this series against Montreal. If not, he'll have to fight 
somebody on the Canadians next year, I think the Canadians will probably, you know, take exception to go after somebody in game two. It just perpetuates itself. It is, and it's it's just embarrassing. And Mario Lemieux called it a garage league in 1992, and I feel like some improvements have been made over the years, maybe minor improvements. But I also feel like in the last couple of years, we're going backwards. And I don't want to blame George Peros for all of it, but I think he's done a really horrendous job. I really do. And while I do think that fans like fighting in general, and I don't have a problem with fighting in the NHL, I do have a problem with the cheap shots that we're witnessing. And look at the the exposure and the publicity the NHL has received in the last month. The only thing people are talking about are injuries or Tom Wilson or, or violent actions, and it's a shame. You have a team like the Colorado Avalanche, who are literally one of the most entertaining teams I've seen in decades, maybe, in the NHL. They're unbelievable. Nobody's even talking about them and what they're doing. We're talking about violent acts every night. A hypothetical situation came up earlier, and it won't happen, but would you trade Jake Ensel for Tom Wilson? Ooh. <laughs> um, boy, I'd sure consider it. Yeah, I, mean, I think Tom Wilson's a great player. Now, you can make an argument that he's so far out of control that you could never really trust him to give you 82 games every season that he'll always be in trouble. But could he be a more effective player than Jake Gensel on Sidney Crosby's line? Would, would he protect Sidney Crosby? Well, of course he would, more than Jake Gensel or Brian Ross, that's for well, sure. Well, Sid has to protect uh, no, Jake I, Gensel. I mean, I've been talking about the possibility of trading Gensel, which I think could happen. And the guy mm-hmm. I need to trade him for, maybe not a Tom Wilson, but like for a Josh Anderson or for Kachuk brother, but you can't make that trade because the other team wouldn't make it. We're overestimating Gensel's value compared to a guy like that. Well, did you hear what Barry Trott said a few days ago, too, about Gensel and Russ, and people got sensitive about it, but it was a fair point. Uh, you know, and Barry Trotz was asked to compare the Penguins' top line with, with the Bruins' top line, and he said, well, the Penguins' top line is one great player and two really good players, and, and that's fair. Gensel and Russ are wonderful players. They're not superstars. They shouldn't be untouchable. And when I look at the Penguins, I just see too much of the same thing, where guys like Kapanen and Rust and Gensel, yes, they're good players, but they're all smallish players who can only play a certain style of game. I don't think the Penguins suddenly need a bunch of six foot five, two 250-pound players, but they could use more of a balance. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. I think oh, yeah, Berkey Bush said that do. when he was on the show a bit ago. They definitely need... They don't yeah. need to go way in the other direction, but he also said that they don't want to betray their DNA, so you have to get big guys that can play. And, boy, the price to be paid for that is more than Jake Gensel. Yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, I, I love Josh Anderson. I, I think he still has, like, untapped potential. He's never even played with a good center, really. Um, he's a fascinating player, but to get a guy like him, uh, boy, you'd have to give up so much. I, I don't know if it's worth it. Even Ron Hextall talked about it yesterday. He said there's just so only so many guys in the league who play that game anymore, and you have to pay such of a premium that you really have to consider, is it worth it to give up you know, pieces A, B, and C to get one of those guys? And I don't know that it is, um, but I do know when I watched the Penguins play, they had a great season. They're still a very good, very talented team. But to me, they were just incredibly soft physically um, to the point that they became targets for other teams. And you see what has happened to them in the playoffs now really, especially in the last two seasons. Shea Weber just beat up Jake Gensel that whole series last summer. And you saw the Islanders do it again. And guess what? It works. So I'm not blaming Jake. 
But I, I do think that you clearly see the Penguins need to have a more balanced lineup in that regard. It's too easy to play against them for the best teams. We're talking to Josh Owey. He's brought to us by 84 Lumber. As I mentioned, we heard Hextall talk. Uh, Brian Burke was on my show earlier. It doesn't sound like they're going to make a ton of changes, does it? Well, no. And Now, that may be a case of them saying the right things to protect people. Uh, you know, neither one of them was going to come out and take shots at Tristan Chari, and I, I appreciate that. But that's the position where I look, Mark. Um, if the Penguins were a young team, say it was a decade ago, and this core was still really young, and Tristan Jari imploded like that in the playoff series, you'd probably stick with him. He has talent. You'd let them all grow together. But but now when you look at the Penguins, you know there's only a couple of years left, probably, uh, for them to have real championship aspirations. How can you trust Tristan Jari to come back next spring and one of Crosby and Malkin's last chances together and for him to be the guy? Uh, to me, that's I don't know if I would call it negligence on, on the part of Penguins management, but they have to see what's out there. Uh, because it was just even look if at the it's postseason. a veteran to play with Jari and to be available it, it, as a potential starter if he falters, because you, you can't that. leave yourself. The Smith got to be the third. You can't leave yourself with Maxim Legacy is Plan B. Right, and and the Penguins did it. Hey, Mark Andre Fleury is going to be in the Hall of Fame. We know he had his issues. They brought in Thomas Fokun, and he played very well for the Penguins. Uh, somebody of that nature, at least, I think. Look at the playoffs right now, Mark. Look at the teams that are left. I see Vasilevsky, Price, Hellebuck, Flurry. Uh, these are all the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. Tuka Rath. Um, I, I think teams right now, more than ever, are so evenly balanced. I think the difference between the best team in the playoffs and the worst team in the playoffs has never been closer than it is right now. And, and goaltending makes all the difference as a result. You, you can't be uncertain in that position. So if I'm Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, yeah, I'd like to get bigger. I'd make some changes here and there, but man, I'm looking at my goaltending position, and if I can get a big name or even you know, a legitimate starter or veteran, I have to do it. Who is the most likely to be traded? Because I've been saying Gensel, maybe in a deal like Neil for Hornquist, where you change the makeup of your forward group and especially your top six. I could see him being traded. I almost wonder if Brian Rust is more likely, and I'll tell you why. Um, Brian Rust is, what, three years older than Jake Gensel, and he's going to be 30 next season. And if you give Rust a new contract, he's at $3.5 million now. He has earned a significant raise. But let me ask you, as much respect as I have for Rust, and I think he's a great hockey player, I respect what he's turned himself into. Do you want to give him 5 or $6 million a year starting at age well, 30? Well, no, because he's a creation of who he plays with. And to some degree, so is Jake. Right. But my point is, because of that, I, maybe Rust is a more likely candidate to be traded. You could certainly get something in return. And I just don't know if you want to be paying him big money into his 30s. I, I still think Gensel is far more likely to produce big numbers for the next five years than is Russ. And that's not a knock on Russ. I, I respect the hell out of the career he's put together. But there's never going to be a better time to trade him than now. Hextall says that he and Sullivan are on the same page in terms of bringing in bigger players. Burke confirmed that a little bit ago. Do you believe that, or will Sully do what he wants when the time comes? <laughs> um, well, I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. Yeah, I, that's I a don't fair question, right? Yeah, I don't mean to suggest any of them are lying. I think they probably are on the same page right now. I don't think Sullivan has a problem with big players, but he is really obsessed with people who can skate. 
he doesn't want plotting big guys, and I get it. Um, that doesn't really fit into anybody's system these days, let alone his. Um, but Sullivan needs to prove that he's okay with that and that he's willing to play those kinds of players. He just needs to prove it. And maybe he will because he has to be feeling a little bit of heat. Uh, he might be a, a candidate for the Jack Adams Award, but I, I don't care who you are. If you've lost four straight playoff series, no matter how many Stanley Cup rings you have, you have to be feeling the heat a little bit. So and he, as good as a coach as I think he is, he needs to learn to, to go to plan B on occasion, to call some audibles. It's just something he doesn't seem comfortable doing. He needs to change his approach a little bit, especially in the postseason, in my opinion. And while I will say that uh, that I would make more significant change than I think Hextall and Burke will wind up doing, I don't blame them for not burning it down, Josh. The team just won a division, but it can't win a cup. It's kind of in that uh, that middle mm. level that's, it's it's almost a curse because you can't burn it down when you're pretty good, but you're not going anywhere either. I think they've handled everything really well so far. And especially if you look at the Penguins' record from the time those two showed up, they're one of the best teams in hockey. I mean, they really were. We were all talking about them you know, having a chance to go on a run two weeks ago, and it's not like they played poorly against the Islanders. So I understand why they've been very quiet and why they only made the one significant deal with Carter. I think they handled it appropriately. I, I'm just curious to see what they do this summer. Um, they, they're talking in a way that makes you think they're not going to do much, but I, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. I, I still think there could be a couple of significant moves. Um, I think these guys are good. I think they know what they're doing. I just think the Penguins are in a very dicey situation. They are still good. Are they Stanley Cup good? Are they Tampa or Colorado good? I don't really think they are, and I'm not sure how you get them there at this point. Uh, Berkey talked about potentially extending Malkin and or Latang. Do you believe that's going to happen? I believe it's going to happen with Latang. I, I really think he impressed management with how he played, and especially when you consider his commitment to fitness. I think he could still be, at worst, a really good top four defenseman for three or four more years. Um, I expect him, yes, to get an extension at some point. If it's not this summer, at some point, maybe next season. That's my guess. He might have to take a small pay cut. Um, we'll see if he's willing to do that. Malkin's the interesting one to me. Uh, I think they would love to bring him back, but it would have to be for a substantial pay cut. And I, I don't know that he'd be willing to do that. Uh, but to me, when I watch him play, he's still a good player, but he's not close to the player he was three or four years ago. I, I really feel like he's starting to slow down. That's going to be a very touchy subject for the Penguins. He's a franchise icon. They would love for him to retire a Penguin, but you can't be giving him a ton of money three years from now. That just makes no sense. Well, to me, what they're doing is putting off the decision on both guys for a year, and then when they get the free agency, if they won't take what they're offered, they're the bad guys. It's good PR. It is. And, you know, if you let them walk without trading them, that's not – People think you're just letting them walk for nothing. No, you're not. You're, you're getting what, 16 or $17 million of salary cap space if they go. That's not the end of the world either. That's a better situation than keeping them for far too long, which is always a risk. But just in terms of what I watched this past season, I, you know, Latang can be maddening at times. Yes, that's part of who he is. He had a really good season. I feel like he's got a substantial number of years left. And given the season that John Marino had, I'm not so sure we should be anointing him as 
the number one defenseman of the future. I, I think it absolutely makes all the sense in the world to bring Latang back for a few more years. Well, and the same goes for Pierre Olivier Joseph. If you want this team to be bigger and stronger, you don't you mm. don't make a spot for a guy who weighs one sixty five with arms like pipe cleaners. <laughs> right, I like Pierre a lot. A lot of people want to trade Pedersen or Matheson to make room for him, and that's fine. But you're not helping the problem if you do that. And Joseph needs to play at some point. He's he's an NHL player. Um, But, no, he he certainly is not going to help them in that regard. So you have to consider who the replacements will be. Of course, I don't exactly see a number two center on the horizon in the organization should you let Evgeny Malkin go. That's something you have to consider also. Josh, the fans kill me with all this. They want the team to be better, but they don't want their favorite player to get traded. And I never have gotten the concept of a favorite player. Well, I don't think the fans remember like 1983 or 2003 like you do, Mark. Um, I think that's part of it. Um, and You know, it's part of the Penguins culture, though. I mean, Penguins fans are really spoiled by seeing the best players in the league. It's been like that for decades. Um, so I guess it is hard uh, to let your favorites go. But if I'm the Penguins, uh, you always talk about uh, looking out for the logo first. That's what they need to do. Um, these guys aren't going to be Penguins forever. I love the romanticism of Crosby and Malkin and Latang all finishing their careers in Pittsburgh. I certainly think Crosby will. But for all three of them, too, it's unlikely. And in terms of winning hockey games, it's probably not very prudent a few years from now. Josh, great stuff. We'll talk again next week. All right, Mark, take care. That's Josh Oey. I got no guests for the rest of the show, so you got to kind of help me make up ground here. Call now, 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Uh, I, I want more opinions on that Shifley hit. We, we still don't have a decision on the suspension. I think it's a two-game suspension. I think it's bad, but we've blown it out of proportion. Just like that dope who threw the plastic water bottle at... Kyrie Irving, and we acted like it was a nuclear device. So your thoughts on the Shifley hit, what should the suspension be? And uh, again, like I've been saying, the shame of it will be the vicious cycle when Shifley has to fight several members of the Canadians or, you know, whether it's, you know, in this series, if he comes back for part of it or whenever, it just perpetuates. People say how terrible it is, but nobody stops. 105.90X. This is Brent Musburger's VSIN Action Update on iHeartMedia Pittsburgh. Now, here are the latest lines from my guys in the desert. The memorial that here. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Think you're on to something. Hey! DX at 105.9. So in the next couple weeks, whether it be Houston, whether it be Greensboro, Louisville, Sting, you're going to be mine. Woo! The Daily Flare here on the X. Uh, Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com says the Steelers had the third worst offseason in the NFL. I'm finding it hard to argue, but I'll go over some of the particulars he listed at ESPN.com 
in just a moment. Let's go to our good friend and the immortal all-time great quarterback at Adams College. He is Stan the Man Gable. Latin, gravitas. Gravitas. Third, third worst offseason, why? I'll go into that later, like I just promised. I don't think Shifley had intent to injure. I mean, I think he had intent to hit him really hard. And you're watching the play, and you're like, he probably could have held up there at the point of contact. I don't know. Sometimes you watch whether it's in the it's a football game or it's a hockey game. I don't know what the psychology is. I mean, I imagine if just like Yoey said, if he was frustrated, you just might be out there looking to put your shoulder right through someone's chest. And, and that's what and he then did. you don't know. I mean, he charged. Yeah, well, he then, took too long of a run at him. But that's the only thing illegal about it for me. But I mean, is uh, is who did he hit? Uh, Jake Evans. Is he out? Is he injured? That often plays a part in this. Uh, he is walking to and from the rink under his own power. He was not hospitalized, but he is not expected to play in game two. I know that. I think he gets a game, and that's it. I bet he gets two, and I wouldn't have a problem with that. And, and again, and here's the thing people keep going nuts on me about Stan. If a guy puts himself in a vulnerable position, I don't know if it's the opposition's responsibility to protect him. I agree with that. Do you want to wager? I say he gets one. You say two. What do you want to wager? Cold Coors Light? Yes. That's your cue. Gravitas. It's Abby. Weekday morning, 6 till 10. That's not drinking, Abby, by the way. Nope. Stone Cold Sober. On the exit 105.9.